we're very excited to have today's speaker, and just as a reminder, we're not uh, having a session next week, but the following week will be Michael Crow. So um, please come for that final session to kind of end, end this uh, very uh, stimulating, engaging series we've had this semester. Uh, so we're very excited to have Dr. Chancellor Roy Flores. Uh, he is the <coughs> chancellor, as you know, of Pima Community College since 2003. Before com coming to Pima Community College, Dr. Flores was president of the Community College of Albany County in Pittsburgh. He also served as president of Elgin Community College in Illinois and executive director of the Virginia Community College System. Dr. Flores has also served on the graduate faculty and as vice president for finance and administration at the University of Texas Pan American. He is a member of board of directors of several national organizations, including the American Association for Community Colleges. Dr. Flores is also on the board of directors for the Hispanic Association of, Community, of Colleges and Universities and serves on the advisory board for the Educational Testing Service and is a member of the Commission on Racial and Ethnic Equity for the American Council on Education, ACE. Dr. Flores earned a PhD in economics in Iowa State. He also has a master's degree in economics and a bachelor's degree in social science from Indiana State University. He served as an economic, economic advisor in the U.S. Department of State as a special assistant for economic affairs for Robert C. Kruger, ambassador at large. Dr. Flores has served and conducted research on monetary theory and human capital theory. Finally, he's a board member at the Tucson Regional Economic Opportunities Incorporated and serves on the Southern Arizona Leadership Council. Dr. Flores has also been appointed to the Governor's Statewide P-20 Council on Education. So would you please join me in welcoming Dr. Flores. I'm grateful and happy to be here, and I'm going to be talking about community colleges and some of the challenges that, um, that, that we face in community colleges. The, uh, for those of you who, who, who don't know, community colleges are an American invention, an institution that we created in, in the Midwest, actually. Um, the brainchild of William Rainey Harper came up with the idea of creating grades 13 and 14, and uh, had a good friend who at the time was a superintendent of schools in Joliet, and there you go, Joliet Junior College. The idea was to provide access for bachelor's degrees for the, uh, the sons and daughters of working men and women in the Chicago area. So the idea took root and uh, became popular. We had junior colleges around the nation for a long time. At the same time, uh, a European idea of creating trade schools also took root in the Midwest and uh, Wisconsin and Indiana and a few other places. And the trade school movement uh, uh, was, was uh, uh, greatly accepted by, by the uh, American public. In the 60s, these two institutions combined with the creation of a comprehensive community college. So our mission is principally to facilitate students receiving bachelor's degrees and, and beyond and also to provide experiences that lead to, to employment, to occupations and what we used to call, call the trades. But lately we've become uh, a little bit more than that. We've also been asked to remediate America. I'm not sure that we're up to the task. Uh, while I think we've been successful in some respects, our data is showing that we're not very successful at all. And that's not just Pima, I think that's every every community college, and we'll talk about 
talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So, a little bit about Pima. I know it's in your backyard, but we're, we are a, a large college, multi-campus, and uh, the demographics are fairly, fairly close to the typical urban community college. Uh, the majority of our students are women, and the average age is closer to 30 than, than the 20. <laughs> our demographics reflect the county fairly, much, uh, fairly well. There's a little bit of, of difference. Um, we have representation of Hispanics almost in the same proportion as the, as the county, and, and um, uh, of, of white non-Hispanics uh, were underrepresented, but that's typical of community colleges. And uh, we are a large employer. We uh, have a $200 million budget, so direct expenditures uh, help the economy, obviously. We employ uh, lots of folks. Those are full-time employees. We have thousands more that are part-time, and some of you are part-time employees for us. I know you're working in that job, so that's not included in this particular statistic. About half our money comes from property taxes, 8% uh, from the state, grants and contracts, 21%, and tuition and fees, uh, another 21%. Yesterday, we increased tuition at Pima Community College by $2 in per semester credit hour and increased the uh, fees by 50 cents per semester credit hour. So we went up to $2.50, uh, meaning that it's going to cost uh, for tuition and fees, gosh, over 60 bucks a year more. Aid from the state as a portion of revenue is declining. No news there. But look at the proportions. And the question I'm asking myself, you know, we're down to 8% of our money comes from the state. The only serious question for me is, at what point do I quit returning the phone calls? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you have to have some skin in the game if you're going to call the shots. If this continues, I think it makes sense for Pima Community College to petition to get out of the state system and look for something else. It's, I'm talking about a rational decision. You know, we're not talking hyperbole here. Because at some point, it'll cost us about 20 to report on the dollar that they give us. <laughs> so we're getting close. We're getting close to that point. Now let's look at some challenges and opportunities. <clears throat> we have a 13% increase in FTE, full-time equivalent enrollments. That's huge. When you look at our numbers and tack on 13%, that's a lot of folks. We have declining funding, as we've seen. We have uh, the other, the major piece of our revenue stream is local taxes, real estate taxes. And those, as you can see, uh, they're flat. Real estate values have declined. There's no new growth to speak of. So we're going to have an enrollment cap. That's going to happen even if we don't have a uh, a press conference announcing that we're capping enrollment. 
It just simply will happen. Because as, as demand for our classes increases, it will continue to increase. And our ability to provide classes continues to fall short of demand. That's an enrollment gap. The question for us at the college is going to be which, what's going to be the priority? What are you going to reduce in order to uh, provide the, the right mix of services? We can talk about that in the, in the Q&A, keeping in mind that transfer is important. It's important to the, to the Arizona Board of Regents because that's part of the, the centerpiece of their plan to increase the number of bachelor's degrees. And occupations are very important. We have a lot of people who are laid off, ready to lose their, you know, they can't pay the mortgage, ready to lose their home. And then we have a lot of folks who have degrees, uh, excuse me, diplomas, who are not ready for college. They're reading at ninth grade level and doing eighth grade math and that kind of thing. So we're, you're, gonna have, you're going to help me a little bit later to make some choices. And then when I go to my board, you don't have to give me your name. <laughs> I'll say, well, they made me do that. They want, this is what they want. Uh, we also, apart from uh, those aspects of our mission in, in Arizona, we are, we've taken a major responsibility with respect to adult education. Now, here's the deal. In Arizona, there are 800,000 people of our, 800,000 of our fellow citizens in Arizona who do not have a high school diploma. Now, let's get an order of magnitude here. 800,000 people is a big city, isn't it? I mean, how many of you came from a big city? Raise your hands. What city, sir? Phoenix. Phoenix, okay. That's certainly more than 800,000. How many of you are close, came from a city that's about 800,000 or about a million, let's say? Yes, sir, in the back. Honolulu. Honolulu. Okay, anyone else? Just shout out. Grand Rapids. All right, anyone else? Which one? She said Helsinki. Helsinki, okay. So we have, we have about as many high, high, uh, high school dropouts in Arizona as there are people in Helsinki. That's interesting. Now let's just look at Pima County and Maricopa County. There are more high school dropouts walking around in Pima County and in Maricopa County than there are people in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and about as many as there are in Minneapolis. You know, that's one way of looking at it, is that's a whole lot of ignorance, no? But that's also a huge opportunity if you get them to the point where they can have a high school diploma, family income goes up, State income goes up, taxes go up, so there are a lot of benefits, not immediately, but you know, when they learn and then they get the diploma, they'll, they'll more likely get a job. What's the like, what is the future for them if they don't have a job? Well, it's pretty bleak. And if they don't have a diploma, they're going to face a life of unemployment for the rest of their natural life. That's, that's just the reality of the 21st century and the latter part of the 20th century. So adult education is really, really important for the state. As an economic tool, it's very important. 
it makes it's rational, it makes sense as an investment, as a social investment, for us to make sure that as many people as possible have a GED. Because then later they can get an associate degree or, or a bachelor's degree and even become uh, more productive in, uh, in contributing to the to the local and the state economy. But without that, they're pretty much doomed to provide, we have to provide social services for them. They'll be unemployed unless we want to watch people starve, which we're not going to do as a society. We're going to provide social services for these folks for the rest of their lives, and we're going to complain about it, we're going to humiliate them, but we will not let them starve. So, we have, at, uh, in Arizona, the governor proposed a budget that did not include a, the state contribution for, for uh, adult education. And I know the times are tough, but to give you an order of magnitude, just for, P, for Pima, uh, the contribution from the state is $600,000. That generates a three to one match from the federal government and a quarter million dollars from the county. So in the end, that really meant 3.2 million bucks or thereabouts for us. So it wasn't a loss of 600,000, it was a loss of well over $3 million. That's a lot of people we could educate and a lot of folks that, that were employed helping them to learn to get their GED. So regrettably, no, no one came forward. I didn't see politicians screaming and shouting and if you did, please send me an email out. I'm, I'm, you know, you'll make my day. Mostly people stared at their toes. They didn't do anything. Uh, and and, and that's, that really says a lot, I think, a, a lot about where, where we are in the value of education publicly. What we were able to do is to, in working with, uh, um, with a member of the, uh, of, of, uh, Superintendent Owen's office to see if we can get the feds to allow a match from the college, from Pima Community College, and count that as a state match. So the state didn't come up with the money, Pima did. And then we asked for permission to use stimulus money for that match. Normally you can't match federal money with federal money. But because the stimulus money had a different definition and were accounting for it differently, I felt that perhaps they might go for that. They did. So we ponied up $400,000, and I, I spoke with uh, Chris Bustamante, who's president of Rio uh, Salado, interim president, and he kicked in $400,000. And then the state followed, you know, found some news change as well. Not the state, the uh, superintendent's office. Um, had, had had some stimulus money they could apply to it. And that, that was where we are now. We were able to, we're able to have a program for one more year. Now what happens next year is going to be problematic. But the point is that adult education is, is important for all of us. At Pima Community College it has a direct impact because we have folks employed in that endeavor. But for the state as a whole and for the university, it's going to be important that we educate folks and get them to the, get them to that particular level.
So I think the benefits uh, the benefits are obvious. Here's some data to reinforce what I, what I just said. Uh, $8,000 a year more for those who earn a degree is not insignificant when you're looking at that many, at that many people. And, and keep in mind, this is just a, a, a gateway because some of those actually go on beyond just getting a, a GED. They, they go ahead and earn a tra uh, learn a trade or go on to, go on to college. Now, another thing that I want to talk about with respect to our mission, and it ties into our economic realities, uh, we've been living in a world where community colleges are expected to do everything, and we've come to believe that. We have actually believed our own press releases that, that we're just able to do, to do all of these things. Well, uh, I think we have to get an A for effort but I'm not so sure that, that we're as successful in all of these endeavors and that changes by you know, one community college or another. But I know one thing that we're not as good at as, as we should be, and that is in developmental education. Myths notwithstanding, we, we probably do a better job than most, but here's the deal. We have, we're spending $20 million a year, and we have a whole lot of folks testing into our remedial courses. One, we have different levels, one, one or the other. Here, here's the results of those efforts. For cohorts taking remedial math in the fall of 2004, the percentage that actually graduated by 2009 is 4.8%. And that's, those are the ones that tested in the lowest tier. We have three categories, right? So, 14.7% actually graduated in that time frame if you tested into the highest level of remedial or development. Now, at some, at some point, keep in mind that, that the scores go up to a certain amount and then you're tested in the lowest, and then if you get a little higher than that, you're in the middle, and then higher than that, you're in the, in the, uh, the, low, the highest of the developmental. There are some students that are testing way below the, uh, the cutoff for the, uh, between the second and, and third levels. For some of those students, the likelihood of us getting them through the system is the same as getting out of purgatory if you don't have anybody praying for you. <laughs> It's not going to happen. And at some point, we're soon the college is going to have to try to figure out how we can actually teach developmental. What we're doing is shoehorning people into the same kind of environment that we know has not produced results. You know, the traditional classes, the traditional semester, put them in kind of a range of um, one of one or three boxes, and that's simply not working for them. I'm hopeful that we can have better diagnostics and meet the individual learning needs of every student. And we have to do it in a way that's scalable. Well, and also to find the different modalities that are, that are 
more efficacious for the individual treatment. Already what we're looking at in terms of the data that uh, we started examining at the college is that not every modality has the same effect on every, on, on every student, every group. If we, you know, we have distance ed of various kinds, structured, less structured, you know, we have some courses that start at a particular time and end at a particular time, and some that are very, very uh, free. You, end, you know, you can enroll when you want and, and leave after you, after you finish all the requirements, which might take a week or might, you know, it might take a month or it might take two years. And then we, we have a more uh, an express format, condensed semesters and so on. And we're finding that women respond to different modalities in different ways than men, and Hispanics differently than uh, the Native Americans and African Americans and so on. And I, I, I find that kind of interesting, but actually not surprising. So anyway, what we have to really find out how to teach and, and, and to do that well if we're going to improve on those numbers, which probably means we'll have to get away from the regular semester approach. It's going to be difficult because our faculty contracts are built on the agrarian calendar. So you know, how, do you, how do you get to mass customization? It's going to be difficult. And even if we do that, how do we scale? I'm going to tell you something that's true, and at first, at first glance you'll think it isn't. But the reality is that we can have an apple orchard on the North Pole. We can do that. The apples will cost about 800000 bucks each. <laughs> but you can create an environment to have apple orchards or grow cotton, you know, and do all that kind of stuff. But it's going to be very expensive. With developmental, we're going to have to find, we as a society are going to have to find techniques that make it accessible for institutions uh, to be able to afford to do these things. We, we, we can't afford to have 800,000, uh, we can't afford to grow apples that cost $800,000. Now, we also know this about development. If we have enough resources, we can get someone from grade four to grade 12. If you assign them a tutor all the time, and if you work with them all the time, and if you control their time, that can happen. But that's not the reality of the students we face. We only see them every once in a while, and they have, lives apart from, from, from what, what we require. So these are enormous, enormous challenges if we're going to, if we're going to do better than, than where we are right now. Now, if, if you think math was bad, this is the real choice. Reading is, is the whole thing. So we have two categories in reading, not three, two. If you test into the lowest, the likelihood of getting out is 2.2%, and if you test into the highest, 12%. The message is simple. If you're not reading, you're not going to get out of college. That's just the reality of it. And we can work harder. We can, you know, try to teach smarter, but it's only going to have a marginal impact. We're going to try to figure out ways of dealing with this enormous, enormous problem. By the way, this is not a Pima problem, it's a national problem. The data may be a little different at Pima than other colleges and universities, but the fact of the matter is that the students coming to us from K-12 are not prepared for college. They're not prepared to do math, college-level math, or college-level critical thinking, and some of them can't even understand the, 
uh, the basic the basic textbooks. I think we're going to have to all of us start a dialogue that gets beyond our hallowed halls in education, because I don't think that we alone can actually solve the problem. We're going to have to enlist the support of the entire community and have a call to arms if we're going to be successful. Otherwise, we're just going to be tinkering around and maybe improving at some, what, 2.7 or 3.8 percent, and that's going to make a difference. It, it really won't make a huge difference. Even if we improve our productivity by 500 percent, that's from, from uh, 3 to 15 percent. Yeah. We're really talking small numbers unless, unless we change unless we change the, the, the whole approach in some way that, that really becomes effective. As I was mentioning over lunch, some of us, uh, with, some of us received our education and public education in an entirely different setting. And when I went to school, it was the K-12 systems were rich with with learning and good teachers and good experiences. People graduated from high school and, and by and large were, were ready for work and, and some and also ready for, ready for college. At that time we had the best teachers around. Um, I had mostly women who were teachers. Now those same talent, their, you know, their, their grandchildren or children are no longer teaching. They're secretaries of state, they're running Homeland Security, the governors of Arizona. So all these talent, this talented pool uh, is not available anymore. They're, they're taking the rightful place in society. So we're going to have to find ways of making teaching accessible to less talented people, like the rest of us, you know, the rest of society. The key to running a good organization and being successful, I'll tell you right now, is to, is to run it in such a way that the average person succeeds. An idiot can find success if you're surrounded with geniuses. But the key is how do we make it work when, on the average, you're going to have average talent and average effort. And that's, that's the hard part. Well, that, sorry for that little, little sidetrack, but anyway, keep that in mind. So I, I'm thinking that we're going to have to enlist the support and aid uh, of neighborhood organizations, Libraries, K-12, obviously universities and community colleges, and, and many others, and have a conversation about what are we dealing with? And do we have a commitment to make significant changes? Changing the subject a little bit with respect to our online efforts, one in five of our students is taking an online course. That's a huge number. They're also taking courses at the same semester. Many of them are taking courses, you know, synchronously at one of our campuses. So we're, we want to make sure that our, line, our, our online courses are going to be successful and need to understand how, uh, what, what, are, what are the criteria and what makes a good online course, what makes that successful. Another thing that we have to do is recognize that we have to go where the money isn't and not hang out where the money ain't. The money ain't in Phoenix anymore. I haven't been to Phoenix all year. I've spent most of my time in Washington, and I must say it's paid off a little bit. Now, there was earlier, there was some talk of $20 billion being put in for community colleges, $12 billion, forgive me, 
And that was predicated on the student loans being direct, you know, direct student lending and so on. That got delayed so much so that the money that they anticipated to save is not going to be there. Not as much of it anyway. So it's down to two billion over four years that we're supposed to be getting at some point to train dislocated workers. And we are going to make a serious pitch to get some of that money. Piedmont Community College now has more Title V money than any college or university in the nation. So, you know, you have to go, you have to go where the resources are. They're not in Phoenix. They're, they're elsewhere. We have to deal with technology. We're redesigning our spaces. We're looking at uh, the way technology affects the way we offer our, all of our support administrative services and HR and everything else is changing radically. The way we offer student services has been totally redesigned. No longer will students get inconsistent answers or incorrect answers, go from one campus, get one answer to the same question, to get another answer at a different campus. We're doing the kinds of things that we need to do to reorganize the college and make the most effective use of, of technology. Now, little note here, one of the, I, I don't want to paint a picture that somehow or other the college isn't successful in some larger sense. We're very successful. And if we, in this sense, when we ask students, when we find out why, why students are not going to return the next semester, and this is done when they register, by the way. What are your plans for next, next semester? Or what are your goals? It's called student intent, and you have to go through that menu if you want to register at the college. We find that when they say they're not coming back, 45% say they're going to transfer, and 24% say I'm not coming back because I, I'm going to complete my program of study next semester. And, and another 16% said, well, you know, with this I've achieved my goal, so I don't need to come back. Meaning that, that for those students that actually do well, uh, we're very, very successful, almost by definition. So 86% of, of the students who are registering and are not coming back are telling us that um, they're not coming back for, for positive reasons. There is, a, I should mention, a national effort on developing a framework of accountability for community colleges. There's a, uh, a steering committee in, that meets periodically. I'm privileged to be a member of that steering committee, and we're one of eight community colleges that's going to pilot this. Framework of accountability. And the motivation for it is quite simple. They want to preempt the Obama administration from coming up with their own. I don't know if one, one makes a difference or not. I don't know if that's a good strategy. But it, accountability is a good thing, by the way. I think we should all figure out what, uh, if we're on the right path or, or if we're not on the right path. What we have done at, at, the, at the college is you know, we put together a strategy that's worked for us. We had high uh, rate of vacancies, 14%. Uh, we started six months before the meltdown of the, of the financial markets because we anticipated a recession. Uh, we, we truly did. We knew that we were going to get less money. The signs were there. We didn't know that you know Madoff was making off with 50 billion bucks or you know whatever all that stuff. Nobody did. But we kept large vacancies and started. Uh, starting putting some money aside. So we were able to keep 14% of our 
a position vacant by moving folks around. Uh, at first, that was a cultural shock. You know, gosh, you work at the college. You really don't work at the campus. You're a college employee, and we have to, you, know, you have to move where you need it. We reduced the number of uh, uh, of administrative positions. And what what we did was, of those 14% that were vacancies, 7% were taken off the books. They no longer exist at the college. At the same time, we increased the work week from 37 and a half hours to 40 hours. And when you do the math on that, that's a 6.7% increase in hours. So that enabled me to eliminate 7% of the jobs. And at the same time, give people 4% more money. We still made money. They're working 6.7% more, we give them 4% more. So we gave both a pay cut and a pay raise at the same time. <laughs> we did. And here's the way the math works on that. They got more money at the end of the week, but they got less per hour. That's just the way. They got a 2.5% two, two pay cut per hour, but they worked more hours, so they got more money. But it enabled us to keep from laying people off. That and other measures that you know we have to traditionally take. I won't bore you with 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 those. Yeah, we you know suspended sabbaticals this time around. No international travel. We did some other kinds of kinds of things. We've increased tuition, as I mentioned. Now we're dealing with uh, the same uncertainty that you at the university are dealing with, whether or not. Temporary sales tax increase passes or not. If it doesn't pass, I think the universities are going to be really, really hit hard. We are too, but probably not as hard in that respect. Uh, it's still going to hurt a lot, but you know we'll just have to see how that how that plays out. If the proposal fails, those who are not in favor of Taxes or public funding will say that indicates the position that the people of Arizona have spoken. Um, they they don't want they don't want to pay more money for for education. I hope that's not the case, but we'll just have to we'll have to see. Okay, now here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the time has come for us to go back to the people of Arizona and ask the honest question, do you want public higher education? Do you want to fund public higher education? If you do, tell your legislators that you do and elect people who will follow your wishes. If you don't, tell us. Just tell us if you don't want education, in the case of community colleges, to be funded by the state. Then I have to find an annual 16 million bucks more, you know, that kind of thing. Just give us a little bit of a transition period, and we'll have to, we'll have to make do. But this death by a thousand cuts is not, not good for anybody. I know that sounds harsh, but my reading of it is that the, that the public will overwhelmingly say, Universities and colleges are too valuable for us to uh, for us not to support. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Then at least we don't have to live under the delusion that somehow or other folks want to fund us. I think they do. Anyway, your thoughts? Let's uh, 
what we're talking about honest discussion, so there we go. Um, I'm yours for a few more minutes, I think. I'd be happy to answer any questions, unless those, except those questions I refuse to answer. <laughs> yes, sir. You'll stand up and tell me your name. And so my name is Patrick Ryan. I work in early academic outreach here at U of A. Great. Serve with students for the preparing for college. Um, and you're mentioning the developmental education, and there's this really low percentage of those students continuing on, right, and finishing out. Right. Is part of that, I imagine part of it is also the structural element of it, right? If they're going into remediation, they have to take more classes. It's going to take them longer to complete their degree, and so they don't have an incentive to stay on, right? It's going to take them longer than their peers who might be how does the how does the community college I mean obviously you have they have to take the remediation in order to get to the level right. to be right, but how do you reconcile the issue that by making them take the remediation classes, you're making it that is making it less likely to take Excellent, excellent question. Uh, right now we don't. Uh, and you're right, that students get discouraged when they tumble to the fact that, man, I'm gonna be around for a year and a half before I take a college course. Uh, they do get discouraged, and many of them will drop out within weeks of registering once they realize that that's the case. And for those that actually get through the whole thing, they've already used up some financial aid, so they, they, have, they have to struggle a little bit. Uh, I guess one of the things that we have to do, perhaps face the reality, and we'll have to see what our data show, but the indications are that developmental education makes no difference. And if it makes no difference, perhaps we ought to mainstream students and get away from this thing. Because right now, you know, here's what we're doing. We're putting 20 students in a class when no one really has a chance of mastering the material. And, and what, what is the enriching experience of a college or university learning environment? You're with students, and the students help you learn as much as, forgive me, those of you who are professors, distinguished professors, and former, former professors, and honorable deans, the students learn as much from each other as they do from us. Because if we're good, we actually create an environment that helps them have that interchange. And if we have developmental classes, there's no student that's already mastered the, the, the concept. So perhaps we're doing them a disservice by putting them in these, in these, in these classes. That's a, that's a great, great comment. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Flores. I'm Hi. Parker from the College of Education. Yes, nice indeed. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I have a question about um, capping enrollment. Yes. It seems to me that one way to do that would be to cut programs. And do you think that's one way to cut cap enrollment? And if so, how would you go about looking to see which programs to cut? Well, I, I think that's, uh, that's a good question. I think we ought to offer the programs that people want and not necessarily the programs that that we would love to continue teaching if we have to provide programs that are, are needed now whether that means modifying what we're doing to make transfer more more effective or developing occupational programs to meet the needs of the 21st century economy uh, right now we have good partnership we have excellent partnerships with the uh, uh, with the county and, and with the state as well to develop the so-called green uh, technologies jobs, and, and I think we're, we're having some success with that. So, um, if it's if the choice comes between our buggy whip making and and training people to make buggy whips and training people for real life jobs, we have to respond, and that, and that's really the only criterion that, that makes sense for community colleges. Thank you. 
Thank you for the question. Hi, I'm Lonnie, and I just wanted to thank you for all you've done to help get resources in Washington for people in Arizona and people in college. It's amazing. So thank you. You're um, I just want to get your feedback at how do we get people to stop staring at their toes and going to the polls on May 18th. Yeah, so. yeah, I don't know. How, how, how can you compete with everything else that that uh, demands the attention of the American public. Uh, you know, I like you, I surf the web and uh, use the web as a communication tool, and I'm assaulted or bombarded by images of people. I don't know who the hell they are. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the woman that's been popping up lately, her name is Gooselin or Gosselin or something. <laughs> who is that Why do I care? So, Obviously, she's very important to America. I think she's been everywhere. Uh, I've not had anything pop up and say, uh, Johnny can't read. <laughs> you know, I don't want to make too much light of it, but we're competing for the attention of the American public with, uh, with folks that know how to get the American public's attention and to divert it from, from the hard work of learning and the rewarding experiences of learning more immediate gratification and so on. I really don't know. I wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't even know how, uh, you know, like I'm so out of touch in that, in that respect. It's, it's, uh, you're asking probably the wrong person, but, but it's my responsibility to find out. Uh, so we're, you know, working with some very, very good people that will educate the community and tell them the importance of education and what it really costs to educate people. Um, what you've just heard is a confession uh, that the Chancellor of FEMA Community Colleges has not done a good job of informing the public of the value of education. But I'm not alone. I think a lot of my colleagues, you know, we spend a whole lot of our time filling up our eight hours and 10 hours and 12 hours, uh, sometimes even more than that, on doing the public's work. And we, we sometimes just believe that the public values what we do. And we spend a lot less time competing with the, the people that are putting those other images in front. And I must confess, I don't even know how to compete with them. But we have to do it, don't we? I have to just find a way. So, thanks for well, reminding me. Well, we can all help. And we can yeah. um, ask people to register to vote. We can ask people to you can do that. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to keep in mind that some of us cannot influence and not prohibited from influencing elections. But it's not so much about that as much as perhaps in our job description, uh, it ought to be, you have to spend X amount of time demonstrating to the public the importance of an education. And then, you know, it's between that and a meeting with the head of the faculty senate, uh, you have to meet with the head of the faculty senate. But I'll have to tell that person, no, you know, I can't meet with you this time. I have to go inform the public. <laughs> Great question. Good comment. Well, you've all been very attentive, and I've tried to make this as enlightening and entertaining as possible. I know it's the afternoon. And you have to look at, at what I've discussed in that light. But what I've talked about is serious. 
and I'm really serious stuff. I kind of poked fun at it a little bit and painted a little bit of a uh, stark contrast with what a normal day looks like. But there are some very important issues that all of us have to deal with. And you know them as well as I do. Thank you.